This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. All right, everyone. So welcome back to More Than Work. And this week I'm talking to Tamara Dirksen. She's a multipreneur. So she, that means she's founded quite a few businesses, but also she's a published author, yoga and meditation and mindfulness teacher, and a career transition and entrepreneur coach. So we're going to have a lot to dig into. Plus, she has a nonprofit that she founded. So thanks for being a guest on More Than Work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Robbie. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So first of all, can you just tell people where I'm talking to you from? I'm talking to you today from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and it's super sunny today and unseasonably warm, which I'm really happy about. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that. I'm in London, England, and it is warm today. I can say I did not have to put on a jacket in the middle of November. So though it's nice out, I'm kind of like, this is not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going great in a way but yeah it's it's funny it's really nice everywhere which is good but it's almost like spring now you that's know? awesome if we could skip the winter part i'd be perfectly fine with that well especially there oh my gosh like you definitely you guys get a lot colder there than than we do here so in introducing you i mean it's quite a list of things you do and you've done and i think on more than work i mean one thing that's really important is just kind of talking to people about how they got to the places they did and if they're pursuing their their passion or their values and things like that. And so when you think about just the first part of the multipreneur, so can you talk a little bit about the businesses you've had and kind of your path that led you then to the other things you've been doing? Sure. It's, it's a windy, a windy bendy road. And I think often that's the case. And I, when I think of, you know, kids who are graduating high school, how can they possibly know what they want to do for the rest of their life? So mm-hmm. I did as, as many people do. I, fell into a career fairly early on, and I was with a global consulting company for around 25 years. And I thought that that was sort of going to be where I hung my hat. A lot of people will retire from an organization like that. Around 2010, everyone in the organization needed to and had a responsibility to contribute to the community by doing some sort of volunteer work. At the same time, there were some personal circumstances that were going on in my life and in the life of my family, my parents specifically, my mom's health was failing. And so my mom and dad made a decision to move from their small community, Eyebrow, Saskatchewan, 120 people. I think that's a gross exaggeration, to be honest. I think that includes the cattle as well. (laughs) And so they needed to downsize and move into, my mom was moving into long-term care in the city nearby, and my dad was going to move into an apartment. So they were, you know, downsizing, and my dad had a basement full of collectibles, And it included my brother's things. So my brother passed away after surgery to correct a congenital heart defect in 1971. And they had kept his things. And one of those things was a tricycle. And so they decided to do an auction. The tricycle was on that auction. I went and attended it. And it just didn't feel right. All day it didn't feel right to see that tricycle there, and it eventually sold. 
I came back to Toronto and I met with my director at that point and we talked about the tricycle and he said, never should have let that go. And it just magically wove itself into this community leader strategy. A lot of people were struggling on how they were going to contribute to the community. And a long story, maybe even longer, is that we decided to launch a charity in my brother's memory called Lonnie Small Foundation. And that is all to help kids with congenital heart defects just be kids by providing them the opportunity to have the same fun and sense of adventure and play that other kids have. So we send kids with congenital heart defects to summer camp. So that's really where my journey began. And that's where the first business was founded up Mm -hmm. until that point. And I know, Robbie, in your introductory video, you talk about how if you have one thing that you are just focused on, that your identity can be very tied to that. And when things don't go well, then it seems like everything's not going well. And so with Lonnie Smile, it helped me to start to realize that I could have these things outside of work that could give me fulfillment. Lonnie Smile led to a executive producer role in the movie industry because we, as part of Lonnie Smile, we had hosted these large rock concerts to raise funds. And I asked a Canadian musician, Murray Foster from the band Great Big Sea, to host one of our events. He hosted multiple of them. And after one of those events, he reached out to me and he just said, I love what I see. You can raise money. You present yourself well. You're very professional. I need that on this film that I'm looking to produce. It was his first feature film. And so that started the journey of raising the funds for that film. We did that over a year. What that really taught me was you never know who's sort of watching you and observing what you're able to bring to the table. So that started my film career. That introduced me to Darren Portelli, who was also working on the film. We went into, at that point, after the film ended, we went into business together on Darren's film and television company, Spiral Entertainment, in producing films and TV shows. And at the time, Darren was also, as an innovator, he was inventing a prebiotic soda that would help with his mental health issues. And at one point, he finally said, you know, hey, I got this thing. What about doing sodas instead of movies? And that launched Crazy D's Sparkling Prebiotic Sodas. And since then, it's just been a journey from there in terms of looking to start my own businesses, pursue things on my own as well, all while doing a full-time role. So I know that's a long answer, and it's a very bendy journey, but that's what brought me to here today. Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I, I'm I, similar to you where I kind of know the key points, and then you can delve in at any point, you know, deeper. And so I guess one thing that I want to chat about first is just thinking about you being in the kind of job that is very demanding when you're doing, when you're a consultant, basically. And I think what I've noticed with friends and even with me is that you don't always realize your skills transfer. And so you'll build up this robust skill set that lets you do specific things with clients or internally or whatever. And, you know, same with me, like I was a project manager most recently and now I'm the marketing manager for my company. And I didn't, I would have never seen that I could do that. But then also I'm very capable because I've spent 20 years 
in IT building up these skills. And so similar to you. And so I guess, were you at all surprised or did it take a moment moment for you to say, oh, I could be a producer on a film? Because the person who Murray asked you to do it and you were able to, but what was that like for you? Because I think it's really interesting maybe for people to hear like, how do you believe that you can do it? Or at what point do you do that? It's a great question. And I was terrified. I'll be very honest and say, say that, you know, you're, you're with a, a large, you know, global consulting firm for that long. And frankly, at, at some point, I, I kind of felt that, you know, you kind of feel like you're part of the furniture, you've done it for so long. I had a great career, but sometimes you get to a point where you kind of don't feel that your your skill sets are fresh or or even recognized within the organization. So what the role in Murray's film did was it it really made me feel appreciated all over again for the skill sets that I brought. So when Murray first asked me to be part of the film, I just I jumped in. He said, you know, do you want to raise funds for the film. I'd always wanted to be in the film industry. So it was easy for me just to say, yes, there was no question in my mind, this is my way into the film industry, something that I have wanted to do for a very long time. I went down at the at that time to a store that's no longer in Toronto, it closed its doors, unfortunately, it's called it was called the world's biggest bookstore. And I went down that afternoon and looked for books on raising funds for film, feeling that it was totally new to me, that this was a totally new thing for me, and that I had to learn from scratch. But then as I got into it, that's where, to your point about transferable skills, and especially when you talk about, you know, IT and project management, which is my background too, you find out that really those skills are inherent to you. From Lonnie Smile, I had raised funds to send kids to camp. From that consultancy opportunity, I had a lot of business skills and leadership skills and, you know, being able to bring those together, it actually turned out to be and relationship building skills, the ability to build strong, trusted relationships, which was so important as part of my career. And as part of Lonnie Smile too, because you have to build a lot of partnerships with folks and volunteers and, and everyone else. So for sure, those skills came into play. And it, it wasn't immediately recognizable that I could bring those together. But once it started to roll, that's when I found out that it, that it actually did. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's such a empowering thing to realize, right? And it is. Just to see, yeah, to recognize your value and then to see that you can share it elsewhere, like in many, many ways. And I can definitely appreciate that. And so, so thinking about like wanting to be in a film, did you envision that you would ever do something like a producer? Or how did you like envision you wanted to be in film versus the reality of it? I don't even know that I envisioned anything specifically. I just loved the film industry. You know, anytime I passed mm-hmm. by a film set, I just, I just felt like I was drawn to it. And I remember saying to Murray that when, when I started working on the film, it felt like it was something that I should have been doing all my life. It just felt mm. like it was in my bones to do that. And and another another part about that whole journey, too, that I should mention is during the time that I was working on the film, I had talked to, to Murray at length a number of times about, you know, looking to leave. I just sort of felt like 
it was time. It was time. I had, I had, you know, come up to a senior leadership position in IT, and I just felt like it was time to leave. And during the time I was working on the film, I was actually on my way to meet meet Murray and others and the production company for a meeting. And before that, my director called me into his office and said that my leadership position was being eliminated. So I thought, do I go to this meeting? Don't I go to this meeting? And I ended up going and I met Murray on the street corner just as we were going to the restaurant. I said, I've just lost my job. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said, fantastic. He said, you've been wanting to leave. And he, he said, whether you jump or get pushed, you end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something that I'll always remember. So yeah, I didn't I didn't have any in, any firm vision in terms of what the film industry would look like. I just felt like it was where I wanted to be. Yeah, and then you had the ability to say yes, and then yeah, you kind of got kicked out anyway. But that's it's funny that timing and also the timing of running into him and having him be the person that you shared the news with because you know I think it's a good example too of like kind of a more functional empathy as far as his response because. You could have run into someone who'd be like, oh, they're such jerks and like, how dare they? And, you know, trigger kind of some other path of emotion or, but he was just kind of like, yeah, well, this is what you wanted. This is good. Like what's, you know, and I, that's pretty cool. Like that's a good person then to get perspective from at a very critical time um, and lets you just kind of move forward instead of having like some kind of resentment about something and because I know a lot of people will bring in to their next thing like the resentment of the past job and like and and then or whatever and then they won't be able to like do as well in their new one or even like have gratitude for their new one and and the new pursuit because they're still dealing with all the baggage I mean I went through that for sure a couple times and and once you get past that you can do so much better like just moving forward that's true I've never thought about it in that terms Robbie like yeah, I felt like it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. But, you know, meeting him on that day on that corner, and even as I say it now, I can still imagine that and it was just what I needed to hear to be able to move forward. Yeah, that's really, really cool. That's awesome. You mentioned that you do these other pursuits, but you still have a full time job. So what's your full time job now? What's so currently I'm with the Salvation Army in Canada. So the territory is Canada and Bermuda. And, and it's a, it's a great place to be. So after I, you know, did other pursuits in the private sector, and then I decided that I wanted to be, I felt a draw to be closer to the community. And a lot of that is around Lonnie Smile. I just felt like I needed to contribute more to, to, you know, the community And so I moved into the public sector, and I went to the city of Toronto. I love the city of Toronto. Love everything about this city in terms of film industry, great film industry, and and Toronto International Film Festival, and so much more I could talk about. But I went to the city of Toronto because I knew that, you know, we were involved in shelters, long-term care, you know, all of those community services that I felt very drawn to. But I was still in IT had a great stint at the city of Toronto, still have many really strong relationships there, love the city of Toronto, but I didn't feel that I was in IT close enough to the community. There's a portion of, you know, any city organization that is devoted to social services, but it's not all of it. So I had at that point an opportunity to join the Salvation Army 
And that's all the Salvation Army does. Everything is around serving the community, yeah. the front line, so many services that I still don't even know of. The number of industries that sit under the Salvation Army is is massive. And yeah. so it's it's a great place to be. And the way that I compare it to kind of the private industry, the private sector, which, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, I owe a lot of my career to the private sector. But where I came from, we were lining pockets. Where I am mm-hmm. now, we're making sure that people have pockets. And that, to me, makes all the yeah. difference. So I decided that I wanted mm-hmm. to be much closer to the community and give back. And ultimately, I would love to be able to run a homeless shelter. That would be my ultimate goal. And let's see, let's see where the journey takes me. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I, I definitely went through. Uh, it's just very much a lot of what you're saying is resonating with me personally, just because I went through. Uh, and people who have listened for a while got tired of hearing me talk about it. I'm sure, but like this whole crisis of consciousness, where I was kind of thinking, I need to leave private, go to nonprofit. But then I had to like look at the reality of you know being single and the age I am and trying to figure out retirement and stuff. So now I do a lot of volunteer work, and you were very understanding about even having to delay our chat a bit because I do I work at a charity shop in my neighborhood and Camden in London where I live, and it's for an organization called Crisis, and so they actually address the issue of homelessness. So I kind of like the Fantastic. synergy there of you having that as a passion because that's a that's an issue that's I mean it it bothers me a lot and I don't understand the ways to resolve it. I've never done the research to find out, but it's nice to at least work with an organization that's doing that. And so I I really can appreciate where you're coming from on, on that and really caring about your community too, versus, you know, there's a lot of national charities or whatever, but it's, which are good to help. And I definitely do work with different ones, but also just doing stuff locally. And I, I was talking at work the other day, gave a presentation about just how you can give back. And one thing I was saying there was like local impact is so really so important. Cause I don't think people realize that. Right. That's right. So has, has that changed your perspective? Like when you even walk around Toronto or, or look around and kind of how you feel about it? I mean, yeah. you love it. Now you're sharing that by working. Yeah, in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to go back Rabia to, you know, that's, that's very much what what appealed to me when I was looking at your at your bio and hearing your intro is that you have that that heart for the community. We do share a lot of parallels, but I'm not funny like you are. So I wish I was. But, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it, it absolutely changes your perspective when you start hearing the stories of of people who need the services of the community, wherever that is, whether you're you know, volunteering for a local thrift shop or, or where you are, you're, you know, driving downtown and you, you're passing people who are homeless on the street, you realize, and I've always felt that we are all one step away from the street. All it takes Mm. is just one circumstance, one family tragedy, one, you know, loss of a income, or it could be anything, but I do believe an addiction all it takes is one one thing, mm-hmm. and any of us could be on the street. So it certainly makes you think differently about the
the people that you're serving and the communities you're serving and how important it is. And I think that to being part of any organization, whether you're working for an organization or volunteering for an organization that is helping the community, it grounds you, it grounds me, it makes it puts a lot of things in perspective. And it's very humbling just to be able to to help and support and and yeah. help in the community. Yeah, I, I agree. So first, I want to talk about Lonnie's Smile. So was that the first time that you had been really involved in the nonprofit space at all? Or did you have kind of a history in your background of, of doing that work? I had some experience. I wouldn't say that I had a lot of experience. So I would say participated in walks or helped support different galas mm-hmm. in the community. But I didn't have a lot of experience prior to founding Lonnie Smile. As I'd say, with, with a lot of the pursuits that I've been in, I really didn't have a lot of background if, if well, yes, transferable skills, but a lot of background in the areas that I'd been in. So it was my first big foray, for sure, into the nonprofit space. Yeah. And I think, so, with looking at the organization, I mean, and doing it for your brother, who had passed quite a few years mm-hmm. before, did that change your relationship with your grief about that and I'll, I'll say I know that there's a persistent grief with losing a sibling or a loved one I lost my my brother 12 years ago and so sorry. we were older we we're thank you and we were a lot older than you guys because Lonnie was a, a child but there's a persistent grief that mm-hmm. I found that can come and go and things like that but I know for me like doing certain things to honor his memory whether they're volunteering or other you know, rituals or something helps. And did you, did Lonnie's smile address some part of that for you? If you were feeling it too? It it changed everything. And I'd say in a, in a number of ways. And it's interesting because one of my friends has used the expression, you know, living in a house of grief when you lose a sibling at any time. But I think when you're, when you're, you know, very small, it, it changes the household, absolutely changes the household. And it, it, especially it affected of course our whole family but it especially i think affected our dad in a big way and for years you really couldn't even say lonnie's name because it was just so tender and all of those years later when we launched lonnie smile it really changed so many things for our family suddenly it brought and still brings so much light and life to his his memory of course i deal with grief you know i'll i'll deal with mm. the the grief of his loss as she, as you will with your brother for the rest of our lives but it gave his life more more purpose i'd say in terms of mm. suddenly we were able to to speak his name others so many others were saying his name and to hear that is just just mm. incredible and now his memory was helping other kids like him. So we've sent 129 kids with congenital heart disease to summer camp. And I've gone to that camp and just seen the profound difference that it makes in their life. So, yes, it absolutely pivoted the way that loss was felt in the lives of our family and me personally as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that. And just knowing, I think when you can have some common experience around it at some point because yeah you're right like the parents experience it in a completely different yes. way than you as a sibling yes. and and there's not much you can do but then you create this common thing so that's amazing i saw david you know david sedaris the yes. writer yes 
so his his sister died, and I won't get into all that, but I saw him, he, he wrote one book that focused on that, and it was really interesting, and I, I talked to him after a, at a book signing after, just for a moment. I mean, he was a thousand people trying to see him. And, and he said one thing that really resonated, but he said, you know, we always, like, we can recognize each other, those of us who mm-hmm. lost a sibling, because it's just, it's a certain group, and I thought that was really interesting and you know he's this famous writer and everything but it's the same for him and he does it through writing and you're doing it through the foundation did you how did you get the idea to do that that format of sending kids to a camp and just because it really reminds me i did a paper in college which (laughs) didn't go that great because i was too admiring of my subject apparently but on paul newman right and the hole in the wall gang foundation that he has and where they do that for kids with cancer send them to a camp and i think it's great because it is helping them have a normal life at least mm-hmm. for a little while and so how did you come up with the partnership you have with the camp and everything for Lonnie's Smile? Oh that's an interesting story so when we so we decided that we were going to to start this thing in memory of of Lonnie and so a few of us started literally googling organizations like because it's foundation we raise funds and then we direct those to those funds to like-minded causes and so we started Googling organizations that help kids with congenital heart disease. And I came across Camp Oki. And at that, well, it still is the first, but not the only, fortunately, camp for kids, kids with congenital heart disease in Canada. And so I reached out and heard back from, from Camp Oki who said that one of the co-founders of Camp Oki, Dr. Joel Kirsch, would like to meet with me. So I went to meet with him. It's a camp that was founded by Dr. Joel Kirsch and Dr. Elizabeth Stevenson, who were both at the time cardiologists at SickKids Hospital in Toronto. I went to meet with Dr. Kirsch, and I took with me a little package of information to leave with him. And one was a photocopy of a letter that a nurse at SickKids Hospital, Anne-Marie Stain, had written to my parents at the time that my brother passed away, saying how sorry they were to, mm. to lose him. And that's really something that would never happen now, but it did at the time. No. And so I left the package with him. We had a great conversation. And he got in touch with me the me- next day, and he said, I read the package. And that nurse, so this is 40 years after he passed away, and right. he said, that nurse still works at Sick Kids Hospital. Would you like to meet her? And so, still gives me shivers thinking about it. So, yeah. I met her at Sick Kids Hospital. She, she remembered Lonnie. Like, she remembered him. She remembered his mm-hmm. platinum blonde hair. She remembered the room that he had been in, the bed that he had been in, because she said, mm-hmm. some kids you never forget and when you lose them they take a piece of piece of your heart so that to me was that was it that was it dr joel kirsch was mm. you know we were meant to find each other camp oki was meant to be the organization that we would support yeah. and and there we went great alignment wow yeah that's yeah that's great i mean that's one of those things where whether you believe in something or not there's there's this whole aspect of just right place that's right, right time and and things like that. Yeah, for sure. So with Lonnie's Smile, what's your role now besides founder? I mean, do you 
actively work in it? Yeah, it is. It is active. It remains a grassroots foundation. So we have no paid employees. It is totally fueled by volunteers. And I'm active as the chair on the board of directors. And then we have a, you know, a great, very small but mighty board of directors and volunteers, many of which have have been with us since 2010, when we founded the organization. And I'm very grateful for them every single day. Mm. Well, yeah, just the people who are willing to give their time, right, and give their skill and really even their emotion and everything to it. That's no, that's great. I did bring up the subject of grief, and some people might have heard that and, and just feel like I was kind of passive about it, which is not true. It's just that, you know, this podcast isn't about that right. necessarily. So it's kind of it's kind of like just one thing people might know, too, is, you know, you your relationship changes with it, so you can talk about it from a, a different point of view. But for me, David Sedaris, I think, is someone who really showed me, like, a different way to address it. And is there anyone who... I don't know, just you've you've kind of looked to or heard from that kind of resonated with you in the same way? Yes. Most recently, it's Anderson Cooper. So I've always admired admired Anderson for so many, so many things. And in part, is it's just his, his humility and authenticity. And, you know, he went through the, the tragic loss of his brother when he was young when his brother took his own life. And then most recently, well, of course, his, his dad before that, and then his brother, and most recently, his his mother. And so Anderson started a podcast called All There Is. And he didn't actually intend to start a podcast. He was just cleaning out his mother's apartment in, in New York, and was just sort of documenting that as he was going through things and then decided, well, this may be somebody, something that other people would benefit from. So he just finished his first season and interviewed folks like Stephen Colbert as well, who has had a lot of loss in his life. Yeah, And I just, it was incredible when I listened to the podcast for the first time, because suddenly, especially that Stephen Colbert episode, things became clear to me. So there's something very powerful about hearing from others who have had loss in their life. And suddenly things that they say can just make things click for you. So when Stephen Colbert mm. talked about the loss loss of in his life, he talked about it being like when a cable was broken. And I'd never thought of that. And I remember saying out loud in the car, because that's where I listen to all, all podcasts, is yes, that's it. Because when, you know, when I think about my brother, I have lots of memories from the time that he passed away, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, forward in terms of that time, but not before. And it is like a cable being being yeah. broken. So I really admire Anderson Cooper for his, he's very emotional in that podcast. He's very honest. He's mm. very open. And for those who have gone through grief, who are looking for sort of a community, I think it's a terrific resource. Yeah, yeah. No, that it does sound like that. And it, uh, to me, it's a way that he's kind of serving the memory of those other people. And you're doing it through the foundation. I do it through volunteering. Yes. And I think that one thing that just in general is important for people to do is to find a, a way to honor that. So you do a lot and you stay busy, it sounds like. But what do you, what kind of lets you be centered and grounded and not get overwhelmed by it? Like there has to be an emotional aspect, even though it's for your brother and it's a nice thing. Lonnie Smile also has a lot of 
stress around it probably when you're mm-hmm. doing fundraising and stuff. And then you have work that you're doing with the Salvation Army. And so what do you do outside of work that kind of gives you space? Well, I'd say sometimes it's not easy. I'll be honest about that. I think that, that, you know, a lot of times we kind of look at Instagram lives and think, oh my gosh, how exciting is that? And it's <laughs> the reality of it is that sometimes it's not easy and it's not easy to stay grounded and balanced. Sometimes, so yoga and meditation are very important to me, but sometimes they fall off the rails when when things get really busy. And I think it's just, it's important to to be as self-aware as you can be about when things are out of balance. That to me has been the most important thing is, is when things feel off the rails. So there's too much focus on my full-time role and I'm not getting those opportunities to to do yoga, meditation. You know, I do meditations on Insight Timer too and sometimes I I oh, yeah. you know, I I go for a gap without being able to do those. I have blogs on my website. I'll tell you I need to update that and and get some more blogs done. But, you know, I think it's just sometimes one being very gracious with yourself and realizing that you can't do it all. And sometimes you have to make some choices. I wouldn't say sacrifices, but sometimes it's, you know, things are really busy at work right now and I got to have thing others other things take a back seat or sometimes it's I really need to take a mental break for myself and and do yoga and meditation because I know that if I take the time for those, that it will make everything better. That's great. So how long have you been practicing yoga and meditation? Well, this is one of those things, Rabia, where I just sort of, you know, go straight into things. When I started taking my yoga teacher certification, I had not practiced yoga. Same with meditation, I had had very little exposure. And I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to get certified and and just, you know, go full in. So both of those happen. So the the career transition and entrepreneur coach certification, the yoga teacher certification and the meditation mindfulness certification all took place during COVID. So once we started working from home full time, I just felt like I had a little bit of space and time to be able to do those and did them all at once. And I just felt like they could they could combine into something that I could offer to be of service to others. Huh. How has, I guess, learning that and then sharing things with others, has it changed your perspective on yourself at all? Like, and how you kind of understand your own path? Interesting question. I think that, you know, when you have a multi-path career, sometimes it's just about seeing the next dot. So you don't necessarily, and you don't need to see the full puzzle as you're heading into it. You just need to be able to to see the first pieces. So I, I use that as an example is, you know, just you start with box of puzzle pieces and then you just, you look for the sky. And then after you look for the sky, then you look for the, the green of the grass and the trees. So um, I guess what it's changed my perspective of is I just, as I've sort of followed this multi-path career it has made it easier for me to kind of see my what's next and what what could be and mm-hmm. I don't I don't even have to or 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 do have it fully formed I just see that there is something ahead of me that will transpire into my what's next how are you finding coaching other people is it 
something that's easy to do? Is it something that are you are you identifying things other people that you saw in yourself before? Mm. How's that going? So first thing, super fulfilling to be able to help in some ways for for others to find their own path. One thing that's important, I think, to remember about coaching is that it's not about providing the answers. It's it's built on the basis that we all have we all have everything inside of us that we need to be able to move forward. Sometimes it just takes asking the right mm. questions to be able to bring it out. Yeah. And I think that's the most exciting part for me, Rabia, is just being able to to ask questions and for for the the individuals that I'm coaching to be able to find their own answers in those questions and their own yeah. path forward. Yeah, that's great. And I don't know, I like that you kind of, because I mean, even at work, you have mentors and stuff, yes. but it's nice to be able to seek them outside of work sometimes, especially when you might be needing mentorship about leaving work. Yeah, that's right. And I think <laughs> so. I've always felt that, you know, mentors and coaches have been extremely important in my life and still are, mm. because just having that other individual or individuals who are able to, you know, see things in you that that you may not see in yourself. So my mentor is Susan Donas. She's she's a a very um, very successful senior leader globally, and also an extremely humble and authentic individual. And having those people in your life and seeking those out, mm-hmm. those relationships out, I think are so critical to success. We can, none of us do anything. On our own, ultimately, we get we get help from others in a community around us. Definitely, yeah. And it's sometimes hard. I know for me, it's been hard to accept help or that I need help. But once I've done that, I've had really rewarding relationships with people. And also, I've been able to give more to others because I'm able to accept it and almost kind of, I don't know, it's, it makes it more equal somehow in the universe. Yeah. Maybe, or something. That's a sure. very good point. So one thing I like to ask every guest who's on More Than Work is just, and you've kind of covered it with some advice already, but like, is there any advice or mantra that you like to would just like to share with listeners? From an advice standpoint, I'd say if you're if you're looking to pursue something outside of work, the first and most important thing is to understand why. Why and why now are you looking to to do something else, whatever that path might be, recognizing that you don't need to have it all figured out. So just start with one thing. Let's say you're looking to, to have a multi-path career. You don't need to know what all those paths are. Just sort of start with one and work on that and look to take, and I know this is a phrase that's used by a lot of people, but look to take massive imperfect action every day. So even if you have five minutes, just just make progress towards it. You don't need huge chunks of time. You don't need to be, you know, a week off work to be able to to make progress. Just take the time that you need. Find a community of people who can surround you, make you accountable, provide you with support. And above all, really be gracious with yourself. So sometimes it'll be tough. Your your full-time job may take everything that, that you have to give, and you may not have a lot to give outside of that other than to yourself, but make sure that you do that. And just, you know, go for it. I have this small statue, which I know you won't see through audio, but I'll show it to you, Rabia. 
And my dear friend Robin gave this to me many years Mm -hmm. ago. And it says, I'm a huge football fan. If you don't pick up the ball and run with it, somebody else will. And Mm. so it's really important just to, to, you know, move forward. And I think about, you know, what I would have missed out on if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to honor the memory of my brother through Lonnie's smile. I wouldn't have been able to meet his nurse, Anne-Marie Stain. We wouldn't have been able to send 129 kids with congenital heart disease to summer camp, which literally changes their lives. I wouldn't have been able to attend an international film festival and see my name on the screen and the credits as an executive producer to launch and grow a first-to-market prebiotic soda company and so much more. So just just start, just make the first step. If that's volunteering in a, in a thrift store or another community organization, if it's you know starting to write, if you want to be a writer, but whatever, whatever that is for you, just take that first step. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. I appreciate you just sharing all that and walking through all that because I think there's a lot there that, especially just on the getting started. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. So the last set of questions I have then, where we're near the end, is the fun five. So these are just questions that I think are fun. And I want to know what your answers are. Right. So we'll start with the first one. What is the oldest T-shirt you have and still wear? Well, I don't know that for sure. But I will say it has <laughs> to be a Rolling Stones T-shirt. It has to be because I have nice. many Rolling Stones T-shirts. They are just my favorite. I once met Keith Richards, which I will never forget in all of my life. And I just will not give away any Rolling Stones T-shirts. So it has to be the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Great, yeah. I actually went and saw them at the Rose Bowl in oh, Hollywood fantastic. or in Los Angeles. Took my mom, and it was really cool just to just to do that and for her to see them. But that, yeah, they're great. And I always thought she was only a Beatles person. Like I just had this idea, and then she's like, "No, I used to listen to the Stones," and she, you know, <laughs> how dare I? <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. They're amazing. The, lo- the longevity great. is incredible. It was so so sad to lose yeah. Charlie Watts, but my gosh, they are yeah, just yeah. if if yeah if I can be moving anywhere like Mick Jagger at his age, then that that'll be a good oh, yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. All right, and speaking of of music, really. So if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like it seemed back in. Back in the pandemic when I wrote this question, well, not that we're not out of the pandemic yet, but during the part where we're all locked down, this different part, what song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning? Oh, that is so easy. Billy Joel, New York State of Mind, because I literally play it every single morning. I love Billy Joel, and next month, I am having the very privilege of going to see him at Madison Square Garden. And that has mm. been on my bucket list forever. So that's an easy one. I Great. can definitely yeah. listen to that every day. Oh, and that'll be a fun show. MSG's pretty cool. Pretty Never, big. never <laughs> so, been yeah. there, but I love New York City. My daughter is in, in theater production. And so I think oh, we're going cool. to see Billy Joel and four musicals on Broadway. So it's going to be fun. Oh, amazing. Yeah, nice. Good for you. Awesome. Okay, cool. And coffee or tea or neither? Coffee. Definitely coffee. And it would be a chai latte with lots of cinnamon on top. And just like my dad, 
I can drink a coffee right before bed and I can sleep like a baby. Yeah. And with the chai, do you ever do like a dirty chai so you get this shot of espresso in it? I have absolutely done that. I think I did that about a week ago. Yeah. it's It makes it a little more spicy mm-hmm. and, and amps it up a little bit. So yeah. cool. Nice. Can you think of a time that you laughs already cried or just something that just cracks you up when you think of it that you can share on a podcast? Yeah, that's a <laughs> very good, good question. It, it's always going to be something that the kids say. So I've got a 20-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old son. And uh, they both have, especially my daughter has a very dry sense of humor. But yesterday, I actually laughed so hard. So my son, who is in college for video game art design, he was having a really tough time with an assignment. He had been working on it all day, all night. It was now noon. It was like 24 hours later. And he came in and I was working and and I said, how's it going? And this is his exact quote. Either my teacher is a stone cold liar or I misunderstood him and either is possible. And I cracked <laughs> up at that. <laughs> I like how he's at least willing to accept accountability, but also willing to not if he doesn't <laughs> exactly need to. So that's right. great. Yeah. And both could be true. That's too. Right. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's funny. So the last one, who inspires you right mm. now? First has to be my friend Reg. I've known him since I almost since I've known anyone. And I'm actually going to visit him along with some other high school buddies in Vancouver next week. And Reg is battling leukemia. And when I Mm. think about Reg, I think about hope, positivity, resilience, courage, and he inspires me absolutely every day. The other person who inspires me is President Zelensky from the Ukraine. And he, to me, is a case study and expert role model on inspired leadership. He is authentic. He's courageous. He is self-aware. He is compelling and he is direct. So he, I think he's an amazing leader and one who didn't have a lot of leadership experience prior to leading something so, so incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's really, he's really amazing. Just, yeah, everything. Because I, that's another one too, where it's almost like it's been going on for so long that it's not center of attention anymore, but for the people in Ukraine, they're constantly there. Yeah, so wishing them well. So if people want to find you, where should they go? How do you want them to look for you? Thanks. So yeah, you can find me at uh, TamaraDirksen.com. So that's T-A-M-A-R-A-D-O-E-R-K-S-E-N.com. And you can actually go onto the website and download my free workbook on four key questions to start down your next path. I'd also love if you checked out LonnieSmile.org. That's L-O-N-N-Y-S-S-M-I-L-E.org. And also you can find my meditations on the free Insight Timer app. Yeah, and Tamara, that app is awesome, by the way. I love it because it tracks the days in a row you do things. So yeah, yeah, it's And it's free. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's great. Well, thanks so much for being on More Than Work. I really appreciate it and enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much, Rabia. I have really enjoyed speaking with you. And thank you for all that you do and for providing this forum for people to share and hopefully, you know, gain more of a community and be able to pursue things outside of work. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. 
Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.